Welcome to Joyful Marketing. I'm Simone Soul, and I teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without having to pay for ads, buy Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hello, everybody. Welcome to part two of the series in which I talk about having made a million dollars. Last week, I just told you some of my general thoughts about what got me here. And this week, as promised, I'm going to answer some questions that people have sent me from Instagram and on Facebook about what they wanted to know about what it takes to make a million dollars. So I got dozens and dozens of questions and I just picked I, I kind of called it down to a few that accounted for like repeated questions on the same thing and some questions that I particularly wanted to answer because there's a point I want to make. <laughs> okay, so the first question that I want to answer about making a million dollars is how long did it take you? So I got a number of questions along the lines of like, how long did it take you? When did you get started, etc. And because I'm actually pretty used to getting this question, I think I want to I want to help you frame the way you think about this in a different way because I can just tell lots of people are asking each other these questions like, oh my God, how long is it going to take me? How long did it take you? So imagine that somebody has invested in the stock market and they had been investing in the stock market for 10 years. And imagine that there's a second person who also had invested in the stock market for 10 years. Now, let's just give them names. Let's just say Sally has invested in the stock market for 10 years and Rudy also invested in the stock market for 10 years. There's Sally and Rudy. And even though they have both invested in the stock market for 10 years, Sally has $100,000, whereas Rudy only has $30 after 10 years. Now, when you ask Sally, how long had you invested in the stock market? She might say 10 years. And when you ask Rudy the question, they'll have the same answer. But let's say Sally invested $1,000 to begin with uh, 10 years ago. And ever since then, she has taken the, the savviest advice in the market. Now, I am no stock market expert, but I know like some best practices. <laughs> the best practice is to not be after making a quick buck and to like park your money somewhere where you really believe in the company and don't touch it <laughs> with the economic ups and downs. Just don't touch it and um, just let it grow and think about the gains in the long term. So Sally put in $1,000 10 years ago with like a few companies that she really believed in. And then all over the course of the 10 years, because she didn't touch it, because she weighed, she made wise decisions, that money grew to $100,000, let's say, right? And Rudy, on the other hand, invested only $20 to begin with 10 years ago. And Rudy, even though Rudy knew what the best practice was with stock with the stock market, he like was really, really wanted to make a quick buck. So Rudy put in $20 into a stock that was like really lucky and it grew a hundredfold. So 
overnight almost. And it grew into like $2,000. And then he was like, oh my gosh, I made all of this money. And then he he like wanted to make another quick buck. So he put the $2,000 somewhere else to another stock. And then that like, you know, um, went all the way down like the day after. And then he was like, just like going up and down with the volatility of the, of the market and just like did not leave his money somewhere. With, with a, he, just, he just kept touching it. He kept having to like reinvest and take it, you know, put it somewhere and take it away from somewhere else. And so the whole 10 years, he was like fidgeting with the stock market. And as a result, he only ended up with 50 bucks, whereas he invested little and ended up only with 50 bucks, whereas Sally invested, you know, $1,000, ended up with 100000 because she did the wise thing. Now, I give you this example because asking Sally and Rudy how long it took, how long they've had money in the stock market is like not a very useful question, right? Because yeah, the length of time, it doesn't not matter. It matters, but there are so many things that also matter. So, so the first thing that matters is like, how did you invest? How much did you put in in the first place? And how did you treat the investment since you made it? And maybe the stock market wasn't the best example because it's like one of the, you know, they call it speculative investment for a reason. It's quite volatile or it can be. But you can think of it, think about it like any investment, right? There are ways to, there are different magnitudes of investment and there are different magnitudes of the, the savvy and the wisdom and the amount of risk that you put into an investment scheme and the length of time. And so length of time is a factor, but it far from tells the whole story, right? So you can probably see where I'm getting at with this. So when people ask me how long it took me to make a million dollars, you can tell the story several times in several different ways. One way I can tell the story is, well, I first became a coach 10 years ago. I first got certified 10 years ago and I've been trying to build a business for the past 10 years. And finally, in the 10th year, I made a million dollars. Now, that's one way you can tell the story. But I can also tell a version of a story where how I began 10 years ago was the equivalent of me putting down like $10 in in the stock market without knowing anything about the stock market. Whereas for the past two or three years was when I really started investing big and really studying what it takes to be successful and actively going out of my comfort zone to take action and to learn and to take action and learn some more and, and, and keep investing and really make myself a student of the game. Now, needless to say, almost all of the million dollars were made in the past two or three years. I'm going to say three years, just like counting the time that I like really began to feel to be serious about the business and started taking my own business training very seriously. And so next time you are wondering how long something took somebody or what you're wondering for yourself, how long it's going to take you to achieve a goal, ask yourself, okay, if it's not just a length of time, what else is it, right? I think there's so many more useful ways of thinking about what it takes to create a goal than just measuring the sheer amount of time. You know, like another example I can give is that if you ask me how long I've played the piano, I can say I've played the piano for for 25 years. And that would be true since the first time I began playing the piano was 25 years ago, 
but I also stopped taking piano lessons 22 years ago. <laughs> so that means for the past 23 years, my piano skill had been the same, if not like receding, <laughs> because I haven't practiced the piano in 23 years, right? I can play the same pieces that I used to be able to play when I was 12, right? Whereas somebody who's also been playing the piano for 25 years and they've been practicing and getting better and they've been challenging themselves every day or every every month of the past 25 years, their skill at the piano is going to be look nothing like mine. So ask yourself, what kind of investments am I have I been making and am I am I willing to make? to expedite my progress towards the goal. And by investment, I don't just mean in terms of money, even though I do mean money. Money is a part of it because I think when you really believe in yourself, like you put your money where your mouth is, right? Because in, in so many ways, money is like the ultimate test of like, how, how much do you really believe in yourself? How much are you really willing to bet on yourself, right? So I, I don't mean that investing with money doesn't count. Like investing with money is one of the big ways I invested in the training of my own brain over the past two, three years. But also the investment of time, investment of energy, and the investment of emotional discomfort, right? I think a lot of people go through the motions of starting a business and they want to download a template, they want to pay an expert to give them the right formula to follow, where they can kind of like remain in the comfortable place of like, I am a student, and they're going to tell me the right answers, I'll do the right answers, and I'll have the results I want, I'll sign the clients. And that's what I call like going through the motions. Like, when you do that, you're not taking, you're not taking any emotional risk, you're not setting yourself up to fail and learn. You're not putting yourself in the way of rejection. You're not, you're not intentionally setting yourself up to conduct experiments that'll allow you to fail nine times out of 10 and create the learning that nobody can take away from you the 10th time that you, that you succeed, right? And all of this, being willing to fail on purpose, being willing to be rejected, trying things with no guarantee of success, like using your creativity and your resourcefulness and the, the, the connections and the network that you already have in order to really put yourself out there, tell people what you do, make offers, like all of that requires so much more investment in emotional discomfort than creating a website, printing business cards, you know, like buying ads, right? I mean, I guess that's an investment too. I'm not saying don't do those things, but just notice where you're, you're trying to get the right answers so that you don't have to fail on your way to making money, on your way to building a successful business. That's probably a sign that you're not really willing to invest. You're not willing to invest with discomfort, right? You're willing to do the things that seem like the path of least resistance. You're willing to follow the formula. You're willing to do the answers that somebody else tells you that'll assure that you don't have to feel embarrassed. You don't have to feel rejected. You don't have to feel uncomfortable out of your depths. You know, all of these things that we, our human brains do their absolute best to try to avoid. <laughs> but sadly is um, the best and the fastest and really the only way to create any kind of sizable and sustainable entrepreneurial success. So 
Again, if you want to ask it, how long it took somebody to create the success, including how long it took me to create a million dollars, I think a much more useful and interesting question is how much risk-taking did it take you? How much failing and learning did, you, did it take you? What were your biggest, juiciest failures, <laughs> right? I think those questions are going to be far, far more interesting, and they're going to point you in such a better direction when it comes to figuring out how to get there faster yourself. I think I've told you quite a num- number of stories in my own podcast and in my, you know, in my content about my myriad failures and all of the times, <laughs> maybe not all because I was the only person who was there for all of it because I'm the one, only one who lives inside my brain. But a lot of the times when I felt embarrassed and ashamed and disappointed and feel, feeling like I want to give up and all of the mind drama that I had to manage myself through, you get to be near a lot of it if you are in my world because I'm very open about a lot of that. And you know, basically coaching myself every time my brain wants to be in resistance, every time my brain thinks it's not fair, I'm not getting my due, that person's against me, this isn't working for me, I'm not cut out for this, like any, all the times, hundreds, thousands, millions of times I've had all of these very defeating, you know, thoughts, I had the willingness to experience it and learn through it and get to the breakthrough on the other side. And anyone can create the same with enough tenacity and curiosity. And are you willing to create that too? Are you willing to um, strengthen those muscles too of your own creativity, of your own problem solving, your your own resilience, your own self-trust, right? So very long answer to the question of how long it took me. (laughs) Took me 10 years total if you include all the times I was just fucking around, you know, two or three years, if you count the times when I was taking significant financial and time and energy um, investment and just lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of working through my own discomfort and pain and taking big emotional risks and putting myself into tons of emotional discomfort. Uh, Wait, I already said that. Emotional resistance, right? Working through tons of resistance all the time right? That's what it took me to create a million dollars. So second question I want to answer is, how did new clients find you? And the thing that I really want to tell all of you about it, about this is that up until my first, you know, million, like all of the entire one million, I never had to go outside of the people that were already in my world, who were already in my orbit, all the people who were already connected to me by either directly or through one degree of separation, meaning like it's somebody I knew who told somebody else about me, right? So that's like a referral, right? All of my revenue and all of my clients came from people who were already in my world in that way. Now, I say this and I want to stress this because a lot of coaches waste so much time and emotional energy trying to find clients as if your ideal clients, your next client is somehow out there like lost in the woods and you have to leave your house and go wandering through the woods to find them. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you've heard me talk about this before. 
your new clients aren't out there in random places lost in the woods trying to find you. They are right next to you already. I don't care who you are or where you are. There are no except, exceptions to this rule ever, ever. They're already always in your world. They are already watching you. They are already talking themselves into hiring you. And they're just waiting for you to realize that they're not out there. They're right next to you. Okay. So new clients find me when I speak directly to them, knowing that they're right in my world, right? Nobody needs to find you. They've already found you. They're already around you. They're already in your sphere. They're already watching you. And you just have to believe that your next client, and you're only ever signing one client at a time. You sign your one next client, and then after that, you sign the next client. It's like one, 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 one at a time, right? Seriously, I really want you to believe this. I really want you to believe that your next client already knows you. You don't have to find them. They don't have to find you. They already found you. And they're just looking for a reason to say yes, okay? I recently exchanged DMs with somebody who was curious about joyful marketing. And this coach asked me, so she's just beginning her coaching business and she's telling me she has no idea how to get clients without what people call lead generation, right? She's like, I'm, I took these courses to try to learn lead generation because I have no idea how I'm ever going to get clients without new leads, right? And I gave her a little bit of coaching in through Instagram DM, which I almost never do. But <laughs> this time I just started talking to this person. And uh, I told her, well, this is how this is why you don't need quote unquote lead generation. I've never done quote unquote lead generation. I just always assumed that people who were already following me, people who I already knew just wanted to be my next client. And I just assumed that and I acted from those assumptions. And that always just came true. Now, now that I've made a million dollars, and I have a body of work that I really created from scratch that I really believe in, that I think already has been proven to be effective, already has been proven to be in demand. And when I say proven to be effective and proven to be in demand, I don't mean like in my head, like I, I strongly believe, like that's important, but it actually has like real world proof of like people gaining concrete results from my program and lots of people purchasing my program. Like the proof of my program's efficacy and its in-demandness is a million dollars, right? So now that I have that, I feel this new mission, sense of mission, like like I know that like my, my program, Joyful Marketing, is is so, so valuable. I know that it's all that a new coach or even an old coach who struggles with marketing needs in order to like set free their marketing potential. And I started having the thought, I do not want it to be an obstacle for somebody to find Joyful Marketing if they don't already personally know me or they're not part of my existing world. And now this is the time when I begin what other people call scaling. And like I have now created something with a quality and proof of concept and that has a momentum of its own where I want to like take it to the ends of the earth to find like every single human being who needs it. And I'm starting to have these thoughts only because my business is already at a million. Like I don't need to go and find random people to make money. I already know how to make all the money without finding new people. But now I just feel so strongly that I expose as many people as possible to the 
to the, the knowledge that the joyful marketing exists, right? So this is the point where I actually actively go find new people. And right now I am, I just hired a, um, a Facebook ads consultant and we're going to get some ads out there, my friends, finally. <laughs> but like it literally did not even occur to me until I passed, surpassed a million dollars of revenue cash, right? That, that I should, like, I want to go find people um, through ads. But, and I'm sure that by the way, I don't have to, I'm like very, very positive that I can make millions more without ads, but I just want to go find more people because I'm so excited about sharing joyful marketing. So this is not to say that you can't put effort into lead generation. This is not to say that you should never do ads until you get to a million, but just know that it is incredibly possible to build a really successful business and not have it take forever. Like I said, it took me like two or three years of very serious work to make a million dollars. And you could reach incredible heights in your business in a very simple, ease-filled, elegant way with just that one belief that my next client, I'm only ever signing one client at a time, and my next client is already in my orbit, already talking themselves into hiring me, already curious, already telling their friends about me. This is just going to make your life so much easier. So please, I wish I knew this 10 years ago. (laughs) So I'm giving it to you, okay? You don't have to go find new people out in the woods because they are not lost. They are right there with you. All right. Now, here's this next question that I wanted to answer that I really like feel in my heart for them. And I think a lot of us have this question at different points of our lives. And the question is, how can you still pour your creativity out when you struggle with cognitive overload due to life? Now, I think this is such a good question. It really moves me, right? How can you pour your creativity out when you struggle with cognitive overload due to life? And boy, do I understand cognitive overload or even emotional overload, okay? I'm an ADHD person, who's prone to depression and anxiety. I know all about cognitive and emotional overload. Now, when you have cognitive overload and you think of creativity, right? Like creativity in terms of creating content, in terms of like marketing, in terms of creating new ideas. When you think of creativity as like another project that you have to do, like a, like a performance that you have to put up, right? That feels impossible. That feels like a really tall order. When you're busy just trying to hold it all together, to keep it all together, right? Now you have to go be creative. And, and this is the sort of the old model of thinking about creativity where we equate it to like creating new output. Like you go to a canvas and paint a new painting. You go write a song. Like I think that pressure, that expectation that you have to go and like do this performance or, or create a whole new project. I, I think that's what makes creativity very difficult, especially when it comes to marketing, right? Now, I posit, I want to offer you a different way of thinking about this, in which creativity isn't something, isn't like an extra project you take on. It's not another performance you have to get up and do. What if using your creativity as a coach um, who is, you know, making offers to people is just about the willingness to share from honesty and love about where you are. And in that way, I think that 
marketing in the way that I'm thinking about it, right? To me, I mean, if you're in joyful marketing, if you're my people, you know this. Marketing is just telling the truth and loving people and being of service to them from a place of telling the truth and loving people. When you have cognitive overload, just telling the truth about where you are with the intention that it might touch somebody, that it might be meaningful to somebody, that, like, seriously, what if that's marketing? What if that is you pouring your creativity out? Doesn't mean you have to go write a song, do a dance, right? What if you just, listen, I'm having cognitive overload because this is what's happening in my life, but you're not saying it in like a venti way. I mean, you can, but but really coming from a place where this is what's happening with my humanity and I'm trusting you with this piece of my life because I think that it might serve you. I think it might help you feel less alone. I think that where I am and what I'm thinking about, you know, it's useful, it's relevant to to all of us. Here's what I'm learning, right? Here's how I am taking care of myself. Here's how I'm handling this that's different from before. Or you don't even have to always turn it into like a neat lesson with a bow on it. Like you can just say, I am willing to be witnessed and seen and loved and accepted while I am going through cognitive overload. Here's Here I am, just like literally showing up and being open to people seeing you and witnessing you and loving you. I think that's marketing too. I think we overcomplicate what it means to serve somebody. I think we have to go and do something really special for other people and we have to be like super original and be super whatever in order for our content to serve. But have you ever had that happen? I mean, I know you have, but you know how that happens where somebody shares something from your life and they weren't even like trying to teach you a lesson or trying to give you an, you know, trying to inspire you, but just because the way they shared something is so meaningful to you, it ends up being super transformative and healing for you to just like read about their life because you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Oh my gosh. Just like the way that they are talking about whatever they're talking about, it's so healing to me to just see that in action. You know what I'm talking about? I know you've had that experience. So that's what I think creativity in marketing is, is just willing to show up and be seen and loved and to help yourself to feel less alone in your humanity and which is the same thing as helping others to feel less alone in their humanity. My friends, there's enough performance in the world. There's enough shiny packaged perfection in the world. There's enough, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here to inspire you. Here's five tips. Here's blah, blah, blah. Here's a program. Like there's enough of that in the world. You know what there's not enough of? Humans being human and humans like being in their full humanity and just willing to be seen and loved in that with no pretense, no performance, just, hey, here I am. I, you see me, I see you. What if that was the ultimate act of creativity? Because I think it creates true connection on a human to human level. What could be more important? What could, what could be more sacred and moving than that? Than that? 
right? So I want to talk about this idea more in the coming um, coming times about letting marketing be something that heals you, letting marketing be something that is a release, right? You know how people talk about like there's inhale and exhale. Inhale is when you consume and when you are like doing, doing, doing and exhale is when you, it's like literally, it's like when you go, <sighs> it's when you receive, right? It's when you relax. And there's so many ways where just telling the truth and being willing to be seen is that exhale, that ah. And what if it, that serves others as much it serves us when we do it for ourselves, when we're, we're willing to, to invite others into witnessing that experience with us, right? Okay, so that's the third question about how to be creative when there's overload. And number four, I've been asked, how did you get confident? How did you get comfortable with being seen? I got a whole bunch of questions on this topic of confidence. And here's a little soapbox talking point that I wanted to <laughs> tell you about is that I don't think of confidence as a adjective. Now, when you ask me, how did you get confident? How did you get comfortable with being seen? It's like, you are thinking of confidence or comfort, comfortable as a way of being, right? How did you attain that way of being? And instead, I want to offer that you think of confidence not as a way of being, but as an action, as a decision that you make to take action. I think I created my confidence by taking actions that pushed me out of my comfort zone a million times over, right? I think one of the most, like the worst time-wasting things we can do is to sit and wait for the confident feeling to arrive. It's never going to happen. And when I needed to make a post, when I, when I needed to make an offer, when I needed to show up to a call, when I felt like shit, when, I, when my brain told me like, don't you dare send, send another email. Everybody's already so annoyed with you. Nobody wants to buy your thing. Why don't you just go hide in the corner and die? <laughs> my brain's very dramatic. Like it tell, it'll tell me those things. I'm not feeling confident. I'm not feeling comfortable being seen. Those ways of being are not available to me. But you know what I do? I decide that I'm willing to show up anyway. I decide that I'm willing to write that post, send that email, to have that conversation, show up to the call, right? I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to do it feeling insecure and bad and ashamed and embarrassed and unsure and all these things. And to me, that is you doing confidence as an action. You are confidencing, okay? I just made up that word. Confidencing is now a word. It's when you're willing to do something when you don't feel great about it, right? So the simple answer to how I got confident was taking a lot of action while not confident, right? Not waiting for confidence to happen, but doing the action of creating more resilience in my life, right? Creating more kind of, what's the word? Like failure tolerance, if I, if I might say that, or discomfort tolerance, right? So please do not waste time like, problem solving for your lack of confidence. Like, oh, how do I be more confident? That person's so confident. I should be more confident. I'm not confident yet. I'm not confident about this. I'm not confident about that. In instead, 
please think about it instead. Like, how can I, like, what would be an act of resilience that I can do today? What would be an emotion that I can allow in my life and uh, in today that I can, that I can take action through with the emotion rather than trying to fix the emotion so that it turns into something positive and lovely like confidence, right? So for example, when I first started doing video, I was terrified of video. I've told this story um, before, but I, it's so funny to think now, but I cringed to see myself on video, right? I just like see myself on film. I was like, oh, just like I hated my face. I hated my, my voice. Everything about it just made me cringe, made me like itchy on the inside. And so how I got over my fear of video is I made myself do it several times just to get over my fear of it. I went on Facebook Live. Once I felt my entire face was like red and I wanted to vomit. It was the most uncomfortable, unpleasant experience ever. So I did it. Does that sound like confidence to you? No, it just sounds like the willingness to do something while feeling completely terrible. <laughs> and I did it again. And the second time I also felt super, super awful. I was like shaking and I wanted to vomit. The third time, same thing. Fourth time, not quite so terrible. Fifth time, not quite so terrible. Sixth time, seventh time, like by the 10th time, I was like basically okay. Right. So notice, like, I didn't wait to be confident. I just kept doing it while feeling really bad. So that, like, let's go with that. Okay. We don't wait to be comfortable being seen. We just go do it. We make space for that discomfort. We make space for that feeling of failure for our brains to be like screaming at us, like, you're doing it wrong. Everybody hates you. And we're like, thank you, brain, for working so hard to keep me alive. But I know that's not true. Okay. That's the pep talk that I want to give all of you. Now, I want to address two more questions. And the next one I want to talk about is, what were you willing to do or think that most people aren't? Now, there's so many ways I can answer this question. But the most significant thing that I can think of lately is my willingness to be curious, to choose curiosity when my brain got mad about a situation and when my brain wanted to blame somebody else or some situation or even myself. So I, I, I want to put it like finding the curiosity for learning every time my brain wants to blame. And I want to emphasize that your brain, like a lot of our brains, we are accustomed to finding blame. If something has gone, has gone wrong, if something is uncomfortable, if something is sort of not 100% to our liking, our brains want it to be either the person's, the other person's fault or the situation's fault or our fault. So it either goes to blame or self-criticism. And I think what I did was like, my, I live my whole life like that, either blaming other people or situations or myself, which means that when I was blaming other people, the solution was very simple. I would get mad at them and I would stop, like I would extricate myself from that situation. So for example, if I was mad at a coach, I would just stop talking to that coach. And if I was mad at a friend, I would just stop talking to that friend. Or if I was mad at a situation, like let's say I was in, I don't know, like a uh, a church and I didn't like that church, I would just stop going to the church, right? So that's why I would just leave. I would just quit. 
And with my own self, if I was blaming myself, let's say I didn't perform perform well on a thing that I wanted to do well in, then blaming myself, I would I would just think, oh, what's wrong with you? I would get mad at myself. And since I can't escape myself, unless I, you know, I don't know, like I don't even know what it would <laughs> say, kill myself, right? Like I wasn't gonna do that. So instead of literally exiting myself, I would almost like cut myself off from the part of myself that was able to feel self-love and compassion and curiosity. And I would just go into like the, the, the shame and the inadequacy of the self-blame and the self-criticism. Now, what do all of these things have in common? When you blame other people, when you blame a situation or you, when you blame yourself, what you have in common is that there is judgment and then there's quitting and then there's disconnection and then there's kind of like avoidance and running away instead of kind of like being curious about the discomfort and being being willing to stick around long enough to find out what the learning is about yourself and about like how you how you are, what version of yourself you show up with in order to like grow through whatever is happening, right? So I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. Like there are so, I, I've told stories about this kind of thing before where my coach would say something and my brain would just shut down and say, she's wrong. She doesn't know what I'm talking, know what she's talking about. She misunderstood me. This isn't helpful. Like my, my brain would have all of these resistance thoughts because I was feeling an emotion. Like I was having thoughts like, like, this is not what I need. This is not helpful. This is stupid. And my brain would conclude like, it would want to conclude she's the wrong coach for me. This is not the coaching I need. Now going to blaming her, right? Blaming my coach. Or I would go a lot into blaming myself or I would say, oh, what's wrong with you where other people are able to figure out, but you can't, it must be your fault. You must be dumb. You must be lazy, et cetera, et cetera. So going from blame to curiosity means that I developed, right? I developed this skill, the ability to pause in those moments and say, what if she's not wrong. What if it's not true that my coach misunderstands me? What if she's not my enemy? What if she's actually on my side and she's trying to teach me something that I would be really useful for me? What if this, per- this precise thing that my brain like really wants to disagree with has more to do with me than with the situation or, or, or with her? What if by me being willing to stay with this and engage with this and learn through this is the the biggest breakthrough that I'm ever going to have for in terms of me creating the success I want. And then I just like let my brain go to work, just like trying to figure out how that could be true. And same thing with blaming myself. My When my brain wants to say, oh, well, you can't figure this out. You're a loser. You're to blame. You did it wrong. If only you were less lazy, if only you were less bad at this, right? Is that kind of like asshole self-criticism? I would ask myself, but what if that's not true? What if this has nothing to do with me being lazy or incompetent? What if it's not true that I'm not cut out for this? What if I didn't fail? What if none of this has to do with anything about myself sucking, right? 
what if it's just something that I have to learn from and that's it? So every time you kind of like go shift away from the blame, every time you shift away from something needing to be somebody's fault, every time I was able to get learning, every time I was able to create a breakthrough, create a transformation that changed the way that I show up, that changed the way that I am willing to look at a situation the change the way that I am willing to kind of set aside my ego reflex to be right and to be like, to be a victim. I think our, our egos really love being vic- being righteous and, and victim-y because then we just get to feel righteous without having to change anything about ourselves, right? So every time we choose to learn and we choose to love and accept and, and be curious and then choose to believe that whatever is happening is happening for our benefit, I think every time we do that, like we just grow. It's for our benefit. It's not for other people, right? And so the willingness to soften through resistance when my brain wants to be mad and in blame, I think more than anything, that's what I did repeatedly in my brain. That's the, the biggest work I did in the time that I've made money. And what I used to do and what I see other coaches doing is that when they experience resistance, they 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 believe what their brain is saying and then they just stop there, right? They, if they think like, oh, I'm too whatever, to, I, I don't, I'm not creative enough to figure out this copywriting. Like a lot of coaches believe that thought about themselves. Like I'm just not a good writer. I can't figure it out. And then they get stuck there, right? So that's when self-blame stops you. Or they, they buy a program and then they think, oh, this program isn't working for me because X, Y, Z, this is not for me. It's for other people. And they, they believe that thought. They believe that resistance and then they stop learning, right? So when you get curious about your own thoughts, creating your results, you have to let go of the need to be the victim. You have to let go of the, of the need to feel righteous and, and aggrieved and misunderstood and, and slighted and you take responsibility for the learning in that situation, you will be a learning machine. And a learning machine is a growth machine. And I just see that over and over and over in my in my clients and, and in myself too. And it takes a tr- tremendous amount of courage, emotional courage that I certainly did not have when I was starting out. And I created it like a tiny bit at a time, Right. So every chance, and I wasn't perfect at it. I'm still not perfect at it. I don't think any human being is, but I want to offer it to you that you can have it as a goal for yourself as well to just get like half a percentage point, like better at it, like, like every day. I don't need to turn into this curiosity machine overnight. I just have to be like 0.5% more curious. I have to be 0.5% more willing to kind of ask questions about the stories that my brain tells me that makes me want to just resist and shut down, right? So that is the skill that I really want to offer you. Another thing that I want to answer the question about is about different revenue streams. A lot of, a lot of people ask me how many different revenue streams I had and can this be done without group classes and like what revenue streams make the most amount of money? Now, I've only ever had one offer at a time. So when I was selling one-on-one coaching, that's all I sold. 
And then when I had created enough expertise and demand to start selling a group program, that's all I, that's all I sold uh, until the birth of Joyful Marketing, which was the perfect time for that. So at least there's different ways of doing things. And I don't want to say my way is the only one true and correct way. But I want to offer, because I love running a very streamlined, constrained, simple, lean, elegant business model where my life is very simple and easy and my business model is very simple and easy. I love having one revenue stream, right? And it's not impossible. It like literally has been done and it is being done to do only one-on-one coaching to get to a million dollars and more. Like literally people do it. I literally know people who do it. It's possible. And if that's what you're doing, right? Actually, whatever your offer is, I don't want you to worry about like, how is this going to take me to a million dollars? I never did. Whatever offer I had, I just focused on being on, on, on super over delivering to clients at that price point at that offer and making that off offer as amazing as possible and creating as much demand as possible for that one offer, no matter how many spots I had, right? Because that is what's actually going to allow you to scale the fastest, not worrying about like, okay, what are the income streams I need? How much do I need? How much money do I need to make for each thing? Like all of that is a distraction, from the most important thing you could be doing to make more money faster, which is to be excellent at what you do and to be providing your clients with an amazing experience and for you to enjoy your life while you're doing it. If you have one-on-one coaching, if you have a group program, like whatever it is, if you focus on loving your offer, loving your business, loving your clients, giving them amazing results, I promise you that like the road to a million is just going to show itself to you one step at a time. And that way is not the same way as just like spinning out about how, how, how am I ever going to get to a million yet? There is no way I could have seen what the next step was until it literally appeared in front of my eyes because I was just so busy being excellent. I was busy working hard. I was busy. I was busy over delivering. I was busy loving my offer so much that I sold so much of it. I, I was like radiating belief in the awesomeness of my offer so that I created more and more demand for it all the time. And all the time that you worry about like the how of, of, can't talk anymore. The how of how you're going to get to a million is a time taken away from you, like being the, being the best coach that you can be for your clients now. So know that you can create a million with like the simplest, like single revenue. uh, I mean, single revenue stream, um, revenue source at a time. Know that you can do it just with one-on-one coaching and know that you don't have to do group, but you might want to when you build up sufficient expertise and, and, and demand that it literally makes no sense to hold it back from multiple people who want to take advantage of it, at, um, of it at the same time, right? So if, like just being overly attached to one style of coaching or one business model, to me, it's usually a sign that something else is going on when you really should be focusing on like loving the shit out of your offer and over delivering a lot to your clients. Like to focus on that and literally everything else will figure itself out. I promise. Okay. And this isn't really a question per se, but I got lots of comments. I got lots of 
people messaging me telling me that a million dollars feels really huge and gigantic and they don't even know like where to start or they don't even know how to even start going about it. And that's my answer to people who have those kinds of thoughts as well. If you've been listening to the podcast a while, again, you know that I never set out to make a million dollars. That was never my goal for the longest time. And my my goal was always just the next thing. My goal was always just being excellent at what I'm doing now, enjoying what I'm doing now, and through the next milestone. And I was so like lost in the pleasure of being in the now that I never worried about the far future and the super high, super far away income goal. And I think ironically, I got to the super high income goal only because I was too busy having fun, enjoying what's right in front of me. So if it feels huge, good, that's normal. Like it should feel huge because a million dollars is huge. And you don't need to be able to hold it all in your mind and have it make perfect sense and know the exact path to get there in order for you to actually get there. Love where you are and like always be like giving your present your all. Don't spin out about things that aren't relevant to how you could be loving on your clients, loving your offer more now. And that really truly will be the fastest way. So that concludes my two-part series on what it took to make me a million dollars. Now, this will be really fun when I make $2 million, $5 million, which I hope is going to be soon. And I will be sharing with you my thoughts at at each milestone. Who's coming with me? Okay, if you want to get started on this work of growing your business joyfully with ease and having it truly like feel like something that you're doing for your own well-being and to truly take care of the people around you in ways that feel really good to your soul and not like marketing in quotes, right? Like not like I'm putting on a performance. I invite you to join my fabulous program and community of heart-centered coaches, Joyful Marketing Link is in show notes. I'll see you there. We're all on our way to making a million or the equivalent or more in terms of the beneficent impact we want to have on the world. It's what we do as life coaches. All right, my friends, I'll talk to you next week. Hey, if you want a shot of fresh inspiration and actionable tips to improve your marketing every single week in your inbox, you better get on my email list sign up to receive my free ebook called 20 unsolicited copy tips it's been known to get people to come out of the woodwork and ask to work with you so get on that link in the show notes and i'll see you in your inbox next time